Surprise and happy holidays. It's our special end of 2018 bonus episode. We haven't even been doing this for a full year yet, but you know, what the heck? We wanted to have an extra excuse to talk to you folks and uh, go over some of the things that we really enjoyed and maybe a couple of things we didn't this past year. If you haven't figured it out by now, if you're just sort of listening to this by accident, this is The Ascent of Board Games. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Joe. I'm Frank. And I'm Mike. So basically we have each put together with some difficulty a top five things that we liked about gaming in 2018 most of them are about board games some of them cross the borders a little bit they may be particular games we like they may be events they may be trends that we like we left it pretty wide open because uh, we can do what we want and i guess since i'm talking now i'll start my number five is the seventh continent This is a game that I spotted when I went to Essen, I guess it was two years ago. Correction, it was three years ago, past Brian. When it was first in progress, and I said at the time in one of my my daily email reports back home from Essen that it was either going to be amazing or a truly spectacular failure. And I think depending on what you like, it might have been either of those. For me, it's fantastic. It's really only a one or two player game. I think with more players than that, it mechanically starts falling apart a little bit. And also there's weird downtime issues. But as a one or two player exploration game with a ton of stories, I just enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in trying it as an because we tried it as a four player experience and that does not work. I'm interested in trying it as a a two-player experience with someone. That I think that'll be interesting. In all honesty, I'd like to try it without playing like a six-hour game of it. Like there, there's got to be a different way to experience that game. No, there is. Uh, So with the new expansion that's coming out supposedly January-ish, I think uh, there is a an intro curse that's much shorter. So like Mm -hmm. the original curse that they want you to start the game with is like six to eight to twelve hours. And this one's like three to four, from what I recall from the uh, one of the updates. So there's there's a potential for a, a shorter, more manageable game. The fact that we played with four players might also temper that time a little bit. But yeah, it just was not an experience that I want to repeat with four players. No, yeah. and I think like some other games that we may discuss later in this episode, that game had a problem of putting its best foot forward. It did not start with a very good starter scenario. But for people who like it and for people who, like me, don't have friends and play a lot of solo games, I, I think it's a, a marvelous experience. I bought all the things from the new Kickstarter, and I'm looking forward to doing more. And yeah, for me, I even painted it, and it was one of my disappointments because of that starter scenario and the fact that it really doesn't play multiple people well. I mean, yay, it's a solo game. There is nothing wrong with a solo game. That's absolutely true. I backed, of course, it's a Kickstarter, and it had tiny little miniatures, so I backed everything on it. And I've played the intro scenario with three players, and I don't feel like it broke down too, too much there. There was definitely a downtime issue. The amount of cards you can have in your hand is also an issue. I was just looking at my phone. I was curious what your guys' opinion was of the game that uh, Fantasy Flight just came out with. Uh, I want to say it's Parts Unknown. Discovery Lands Unknown Thank or you. That's something it. along yeah, those lines. Where it's, it's part of their, their new Games Developed by Algorithm uh, <laughs> product line. Uh, the reviews have been really bad. I haven't had any experiences with it myself, but it sure sounds very similar to Seventh Continent without the interesting, you know, directed storyline that those curses have. Yeah, and I also haven't played it, but from everything I understand about it, it's basically, here is a storytelling game, but because everything is randomly generated, there is nothing that is actually a coherent story. It's just sort of 
what in the PC gaming world they refer to as emergent storytelling, which I don't think particularly works well. I think the idea of these unique board games like that and Keyforge and some of the other stuff, I think there's some interesting stuff there, but I think they're still trying to find their way into figuring out what interesting things they can do with that format, and I don't think they're there yet. I agree. I think it's it was a very odd choice on their part because you're definitely going to get par- compared to Seventh Continent, and I think they're the worst for the comparison. Um, I mean, almost everything I read when I was reading the descriptions and watching reviews of the game and playthroughs, I was like, this feels very, very similar, but not as good. <laughs> but actually reading through the reviews told me that most of the differences and changes are very cosmetic. So it's like 90s JRPG palette swap enemies. <laughs> oh, this is the pink version. Oh, no. Yes. Frank, you are treading on very dangerous territory there. <laughs> As a child of the JRPG <laughs> 90s, I've, they hold a special place in my heart, and there's certainly nothing wrong with them. But just the fact that a lot of the differences in between boxes are cosmetic, I think goes to show that did they really have a coherent game there to begin with? Well, and the other thing is, I think it is, as you say, similar in a lot of ways to Seventh Continent, but it's also about a quarter of the price, especially mm, if you get all the true. Seventh Continent things. That's so true. that may be what they were going for. Jason, what's your number five this year? Yeah, I, I've spoken about this before, but at um, Secret Board Game Con, uh, Mike and I got to play uh, Black Orchestra, uh, where, you know, basically you're plotting with other fellow conspirators to kill Hitler, and who doesn't love that? Um, what was so remarkable, what made it kind of one of the standout gaming experiences for me this last year was the way the game so perfectly came together for us, because it really came down to my, in the game, you're trying to get uh, a plot, you're trying to radicalize your, your conspirators enough so that they're willing to go through with the plot, and then you have to end up in the same spot as Hitler to execute your plan. And our game came down to my character went crazy nuts, ready to kill Hitler. He got thrown in prison because he was under suspicion. He got immediately released from prison. Hitler moved to where he was, and we murdered him by me shooting him in the face. So, it was so basically, he, he checked out of prison, got his possessions back, which included a gun, <laughs> yep. walked out the prison door, and shot Hitler. So. Yep, it was, it was great. And the best part was, even if that plan had failed, we had a backup plan to plant a bomb in his plane. So <laughs> we had other conspiracies afoot. That, uh, yeah, it sounds like a fun game. I'm interested in giving it a try. Does anyone here own it? I actually just back because there's a Kickstarter with some expansion stuff mm-hmm, that yeah. also lets you rebuy the the original game. So I ordered that. So I will own it at some point. Yeah, in the, in I, the I'm future. willing to wait for that to come out. Cause I, like I'm not burning to play it, but it sounds like fun. I picked up a copy and sold it as a disappointment. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's when when I came down to the math of how likely it is dice math that it was like a five percent chance to kill Hitler on a lot of those. I could believe that. We we had a like I said, it was a confluence of events that just worked out perfectly for us. Which part of why. It was such a standout experience for me. I could definitely see how a game would just be like, nope, this is just not possible. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and I think that just comes down to the like, hey, as a cooperative game, how hard do you want it to be? And that one, I can see how that would be just a little bit too tightly wound f- to make it a fun experience. The big problem with it is not that it's hard. Mm-hmm. Hard is not a problem. I, you know, my number four is just brutal. But it comes down to a big, long series of dice rolls mm-hmm. with a slim chance regardless of what you're doing, the ultimate, okay, we're going to kill Hitler now, is a die sequence. Yeah, and and it's funny that you say that because ours came down to a die roll. Well, I mean, it will. That's the nature of the game. Uh, I think it worked. I think the other thing we've learned here is that Frank hates everything we love. (laughs) Yes. That's his goal, really. Yeah, exactly. That's why he's on the podcast to tell us we're wrong. 
right, Joe, what do you got? Uh, so my number five is Oblivion, which is the final release for Sentinels of the Multiverse. I just want to start this conversation by reminding the audience that I love Love, love, love Sentinels of the Multiverse. He says that as he is about to bag on Oblivion. Yeah, don't flip my table, please. (laughs) First off, obviously, it's a really impressive culmination of storytelling that the company has done across a series of game releases. If you listen to the Letters Page podcast, which they do, um, you definitely feel their shared love of the story that they're telling. And Oblivion, I feel like, does a very good job representing that love. Is it 100% successful? I would say probably not. I think in a lot of ways it's answering the question, which may not have been asked, but it's answering the question of, hey, what if I want to play a long-form game of Sentinels of the Multiverse and not a short-form game? And what I mean by that is instead of playing for two to three hours, I want to play for four to six hours. And you get to play with every single character in the game. And you get to play with every single character (laughs) in the game. And like I think that perhaps we are not the audience that is targeted by the, hey, what if Sentinels Multiverse was a longer form game? Yeah. And I think, I feel like we experience this in a lot of games, right? When you think about Kingdom Death and I think about Gloomhaven and I think about games like that where it's like, it's so much effort for us as a group to bring them to the table, but we're the people who have literally, we're surrounded by stacks of board games that are about to fall on us Mm -hmm. as opposed to someone who like buys this game and this is all that they play for the year. I feel like for those people, Oblivion is a godsend. It's like, hey, this is perfect, right? Like, hey, I want to dig deeper into this thing. Much in the same way that like, hey, we played Kingdom Death on easy mode. And the reason we played on easy mode was not because we didn't like how hard it was. It's because our time is more valuable than that. Because we're all super busy. We all have lots of stuff to do in our lives. We're not kids in high school who like get home from school and they have a bunch of time to, to do whatever, right? Like we're just not in that stage in our life. So that being said, I really like Oblivion. Uh, I want to sit down and play through Oblivion successfully because we haven't done that yet. And I think doing that once will make me decide finally whether I think it was successful or not for me. I definitely agree with you that from a storytelling standpoint and just from the the love of the universe that the uh, guys over at Greater Than Games are creating, like Oblivion is amazing. I love the new characters. I love that you can now play as bad guys, um, as heroes. Like, I I love all of that. However, mechanically, I feel like this was a big miss for me. And it's really come to show me that I like Sentinels for its simplicity and execution. Every single deck operates off of the same mechanics, and they do a lot with that. I think the problem is that there is so much in Oblivion to keep track of that if every player isn't on it, something's going to be missed. And not that that takes away from the experience, but like you might look at a rule and say, oh, hey, for the last eight turns, we haven't been doing this one line of text here, which would change literally everything. Yeah, that's a great point. So I played it at Gen Con um, before, right before it released, since it was also very, very late as a Kickstarter. Uh, and I felt that way. Like, we had a basically a curated experience where someone was running it for us. And even that poor guy who had run multiple instances of it, he's like, oh, whoops, we forgot, forgot that line. And, you know, oh, wait, okay, you guys are over here. And then this, this uh, Aeon man does this thing. And just, uh, there's so much to keep track of. 
it almost feels like it'd be better if there was an app where it just went line by line and said, okay, this thing happens, then this thing happens, then this thing happens. All right, now the, the players trigger and do whatever they want. I'm actually excited for when Oblivion gets added to the app that they actually have. Yeah. Because like, I think that will be probably a more fun way to experience it. That's one thing that I find myself making comments like that more lately. There are more and more games that there's enough complexity going on. I'm like, this should really be an app or a PC game or something rather than a board game just because there's so many steps going on. Or fun. Well, also, (laughs) that often helps. Uh, Mechanically, one of the things I did really like in it, like Mike said, playing as the villains was really fun. Like Baron Blade as... Luminary was Luminary. awesome. Like it's his whole thing's about doomsday machines. But uh, I like the missions. Like the missions that you go on, you go accomplish this mission, you get a reward, and the rewards are just perfect. Like they're an extension of the storytelling that's going on in the game, and it's kind of cool to see where things end up because this is functionally the end of that universe for the card game, anyway. Well, and and backing up a little bit, like I also am not a big fan of the team battles that they came out with prior to Oblivion because again. If every player isn't on point with what they're doing or what's going on, it it becomes much, much harder of a game experience to facilitate. Where if we're just playing against a single bad guy, Joe or I can sit there and just execute all of the bad guy's script. And the people who are not as into it can just be like, okay, cool. The bad guy hit me. Joe told me for how much I'm good. Yeah, which is why I was saying I want to get a specific group together to play through to completion because like I think for Oblivion, much like for the team battles, you need everyone to be invested. You can't have anyone be partially invested because there are enough moving pieces that if not everyone is invested, one of those pieces are going to get missed. Now, to speak specifically about our experience here, Joe, I would argue that we as players did beat Oblivion. We did beat Oblivion, yes. Technically. No, no, he was defeated. Yep. Yep. And then some stuff happened and we lost. It's I'm fine. very unhappy with it. The and fact yet, that people stop, I'm not going to say what happens. Yeah, it's a giant spoiler. But the fact that when that occurs, you stop getting new characters was really tragic for us. Yeah. So what, he snaps his fingers or something? <laughs> Yeah, it's complicated. It's, it's, it's oh, complicated. Wow. Somebody somewhere snaps their fingers. It's very complicated. Too soon. Some stuff happens. I didn't make it that far. Yeah, no. <laughs> we would have won if he would have been one of the scions at that time. So yeah, and for our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, don't worry too much about it. Definitely, like if you are at all interested in Sentinels, pick it up. It is worth owning as an expansion, if for nothing else, having the characters and the new locations. Oblivion's playstyle is just an added bonus to having that. Yeah, say so you haven't mentioned the box that's bigger than most small animals. <laughs> Which does not specifically come with the Oblivion expansion. Oh, it doesn't. I it, thought that it, was part of the Kickstarter. It is it was part, part of, of the, the Kickstarter, Kickstarter, but it wasn't it's if you buy the base game of Oblivion, it doesn't come with that gotcha. box. I think you can also buy it separately. And it is tragic because it is now made, sadly, hauling that game from place to place <laughs> infinitely harder because it is so big. And I'm not sure it's better than having three boxes. Yeah, but think of how many cats big. you could stuff into it. So many. Wow. <laughs> All right, moving on from uh, from Oblivion, at least for now. Frank, what do you got for us? Yeah, my number five is kind of a reaction to the big sprawling game where you have to learn, spend three hours of dealing with rules. Sometimes you just want a game you just drag out beers people and start playing and really our go-to this year has been space base we have played a lot of that game 
I mean, part of it is that it has a very Machikoro settlers kind of role. Everyone gets stuff and then you pour it back in. But it's got a clever thing with all the powers and cards and how they stack, as well as a weird alternate victory condition where you can instantly win the game, which I've actually done once. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you like Machi Koro, this is like Machi Koro for reals. <laughs> I've heard a lot of good things about Space Base. I haven't played or even really seen it, but I'm, I'm anxious to give it a try. Frank introduced me to this game. Um, he made a recommendation. He's like, you have to play this game. It's great. And I played it at Gen Con and it was it was wonderful. Uh, the the poor woman who was playing in our group could not grok it at all. Like for some reason, the idea of rolling dice and looking at the dice and either adding them or taking them separately as their two dice values just blew her mind. So it was like, Bing, 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 three players, no problem, blowing through it. Get to her, like, all right, okay. And so you have two dice. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Despite that, I still love the game, and I ended up buying it there. Um, and I've, I've pulled it out a couple times and it's been met with, um, you know, I wouldn't say rave reviews just cause like my friends, they don't go super crazy about board games most of the time, but they've been enjoying it. I like playing that game. It's fine. Your friends are wrong. <laughs> One of the first things that got onto my list this year, and it's kind of moved around a lot is the board game route. It fires on all cylinders for me. I mean, the artwork is adorable. The mechanics are solid and Every single faction I've played has just been a fun experience, and it has really gotten back to, hey, board games are just fun to play, um, for me at least. One of the things I really, really appreciate about Root, is a little higher on my list, is that it takes all the lessons they clearly learned from Vast and applies a shared backbone of rules to the game that is desperately needed. It's like in Vast, the things you're doing to other people are wholly unscrutable if you've never played that faction. You're like, here, I move here, I flip five tiddlywinks, and <laughs> hey, I turn into a dragon. It's like, okay, cool, I'm going to move my guy now. I don't know what you just did on your turn. It seemed really weird. Um, but it's magical. But it's magical. <laughs> And, and like, unlike in Roots, like, hey, the th the mechanics you're trying to accomplish are different, but the gameplay pieces for 80 to 90 percent of the mechanics are the same. So, like, hey, you're still moving into regions, you're still trying to control them, you're still fighting, you're you're all using a shared deck of cards, which I think is actually really huge because, like, having this shared core backbone really makes it the game come together in a way that Vast, in my mind, kinda doesn't. Yeah, it, it's much more, what other people are doing is much more comprehensible. I've, right. I've only played it once, but I'm really excited by it. It almost made my list off the strength of just that one play because I love games that take such very disparate play styles and mesh them together in a way that works. We've played it a lot. I think I've played six times so far, only with the base game, none of the expansions. It is a staggeringly deep game. It's also really fast. 90 minutes and you're yeah. done. Tops. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I could see that being a game that you could get super deep into if there weren't so many other games to play. Yeah, we're, we're finding levels, especially with some of the factions, that are just pretty terrifying in that kind of short, focused game. Awesome. The other thing I want to get to pull to the table related to Root is so there's a um, version in the expansion where the cats are automated and it's everybody versus the cats. I really want to yeah, try right. that mode out. That sounds really fun. Totally. Right. I'm Who doesn't want to play a game where you team up to fight a bunch of robot cats trying to take over the woodlands? Like, that just sounds fun. I mean, cats love to attack feet. 
that that is absolutely true. And and birds and uh, yeah, pretty much everything. Exactly. I think we'll be talking a little bit more about Root later. It, it sounds pretty popular. Uh, so my number four is a little bit off the board game path. I, as people who have been listening and actually paying attention, know I'm a big fan of a miniatures game called Malifaux. I'm not going to get too deeply into it, but earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go to Cardiff and play in the Welsh Grand Tournament, which is a really big Malifaux tournament over in Wales. And one of the things I say about Malifaux is that I I usually phrase it a little bit differently, but this is theoretically a family-friendly podcast. There is a much lower jerk quotient in Malifaux than you find in a lot of other miniatures games. And everywhere I have traveled and played this game, it's been the case. Everybody is super friendly and welcoming. Mike is making that face. Brian, you're missing the core argument as to why you love Malifaux. There are no dice. There are <laughs> no dice. Yes. That- like, the people who play it are great. I won't argue with that. I've met several of them in the local area. But c- come on, Brian. I am a big fan of the of the card-based mechanic. But anyway, it was a marvelous trip. It was a great tournament. Everybody was super friendly. And um, Jason? I'm just curious. So I have very little experience with this game. Never actually played it. But I have muled some uh, promo figures back for Joe from a Gen Con two years ago. How did you transport those figures? Would you just holding them, like, delicately no, in no, your no, hands that, while that's you crazy flew over? Talk. Originally, I had some padded foam containers. There's a company called KR Multicase that does cardboard boxes with foam inside. But what I've switched to is actually a little metal, almost like a a big tackle box kind of thing with metal shelves in it and magnets on the bases of the miniatures, which works extremely well. And I've never yet had a problem with the magnets. I've had a problem where the magnets are so strong that when I'm trying to pull a miniature off the, the sheet, I pull the miniature off the base instead. But that's my fault. Because from the few figures I've seen, there, there's literally some of them that I thought the strength of my gaze might break it. Some of them are extremely fiddly, and I could go on at great length about the time when you have a person with four separate pieces that make up their head, but it's a great game regardless. I really like Malifaux. It is the war game I like the most. It is also the game that made me realize I don't like war games. Because <laughs> I, li- I like Malifaux, but I don't like it enough to want to play it. And since it's the one I like the most, I'm like, okay, cool. This is just not now my I genre. Now I can just write that this off. This is just not my genre, <laughs> which is fine. But like, I do I do like the setting a lot. The setting is really cool. So that was basically some great gaming combined with some great travel. And that was my number four. All right. Uh, so for my number four, uh, as a person who backs far too many Kickstarters, there's always the the constant terror of, oh my god, what have I done? I, I've spent a lot of money on this game. I've never seen it physically. I read the rule books, but that's likely to change before the game comes out. Majora! <laughs> You've had three years of fun for that one. <laughs> so at Gen Con this year, I, I got the chance to demo one that I had backed fully um, for Solomon Kane from Mythic Games. Ooh, and, pretty. Uh, yeah, and so... Just a little backstory. I originally uh, backed the Conan game that they worked with on with Monolith on, and I fell in love with it. In fact, I loved it so much, I ended up reading all the original Robert E. Howard uh, Conan stories. So when they announced the Solomon Kane book, I was like, first of all, who's Solomon Kane? I've never even heard of this guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Again, my background is like reading Dragonlance books. So like, I, I, I'm now getting over into the old pulp stuff. And Mike, I, hold him back. Hold him back. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Uh, Jason, I, I want to point out for our, our listeners at home who can't see your board game collection, when it comes to Mythic Games, you have a problem mm-hmm. 
So when I described earlier that board games were about to follow me, it is a stack of mythic games. But it's like three stacks of different games all made by the Mythic Games company just like slowly moving towards Joe, threatening to crush him underneath their massive boxes. If you what? find something you like, you I've stick with worse. it. When I'm sitting, they're taller than me. It's very nonsense. Wait till my Joan of Arc Kickstarter shows up. <laughs> oh, man. You went in full on that, too? Of course. I'm an idiot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. You're you, an enthusiast. You've sure. got a problem, mm -hmm. but we love you for it because that means we don't have to. Yeah, exactly. I'm protecting all of you. Uh, but anyway, so the I got the demo of Solomon Kane. I really enjoyed it. I was pleasantly surprised because it is it's essentially based off the original stories. They made up a couple of their own to the point where they made them up so well. I originally didn't realize which ones were part of original stories and which ones were ones they made up themselves. Like they did a really good job of integrating that. But the game, you know, you make decisions and you're playing cooperatively. Each of your players is playing a different virtue that's helping guide Solomon Kane on his mission. So you've got like uh, justice, courage, prudence, and temperance, mm -hmm. and each of them provide different abilities or different skills. I had an absolute blast with it. I really can't wait for it to come out. I unfortunately have to wait till June, which in Kickstarter terms means a year and a half from now. <laughs> right, um, June of 2020. <laughs> after the fourth Chinese New Year. I think mm -hmm. that's... Uh, <laughs> that's how you measure them. Exactly. Uh, so my number four is an oldie but a goodie, which is Eldritch Horror. Every year they come out with one or two expansions, though I think they're kind of wrapping up now is my impression, um, based on the fact that they've re-released Arkham Horror now. That's probably where a lot of their energy is going to go. And to be fair, some of this is because I have a friend uh, who will remain nameless, who loves this game a near infinite amount. So much so that he bought a custom-made carrying case for the game and all of its components so that when he travels with it, he travels in style. I mean, it is a beautiful chest. <laughs> no, it's Let's gorgeous. Be clear here. No, it's gorgeous. It was like it's well worth it. In and my mind. it has a spot for everything. Yeah. Um, but like every time we break the game out, I'm always impressed with like how the game plays and how well balanced internally the game is with itself and how the game limits its scope by making sure you don't add too many components from all the expansions and all that kind of stuff so like i really really enjoy the game a heck of a lot every time we get to the table i'm always really excited to play it yeah they did a good job with arkham horror 3 stealing bits from elder tor <clears throat> and it's a lot more focused good i think when elder tor originally came out it was sort of like well, this is a better version of Arkham Horror because it cleans up a lot of the stuff that was problematic. And I think they've taken those lessons and reapplied them back to, totally. to Arkham. Yeah. I'm not sure which one's better. That's a re that's going to be like a sure. fist fight. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a matter of personal taste. But certainly with where Arkham Horror was when Eldritch Horror came out and where Eldritch Horror was when it first came out, I think Eldritch Horror, for most of us, was clearly the better game. Well, and I think a lot of that comes down to just scale. Um, like what what scale do you want to play these stories at um, which is going to be a thing that we talk about with a game that's on my list a little bit later yeah so like I do appreciate the large amount of scale in Eldritch Horror personally like I like that that view into the Eldritch universe so my number four has anyone played this it's, it's, it's City of Kings by yep. Frank West oh wow I, I haven't even heard of it like <laughs> Yeah. So City Kings is a co-op game for one to four players. You are given a scenario or there's a seven scenario campaign. You basically wander around on tiles and counter stuff, cart resources. I mean, it's that kind of game. There are uh, there are some dice, but they're not important. The game is hard 
oh my god is it hard and brutal the thing that city of kings does really well is first of all you're having to deal with resources nothing is free so you've actually got a couple workers you move around to gather resources drag them back and craft your stuff second of all whenever you create a monster and you don't want more than one monster on the board at once in a very kingdom death kind of feel you then generate that monster with a bunch of random tiles to represent its powers in fact the monster tokens are just generic and that monster will kick your ass every single monster is a boss fight and so it has a very kingdom death feel but in a really focused two to three hour game i'm not gonna lie frank you had me at campaign game <laughs> yeah and the campaign is actually not essential but it does it does have a kind of stage story for each of the particular scenarios in the campaign the game's really simple i mean it's a breeze to teach and gorgeous I, it was a, kind of a shocker then joe's googling it i am gonna be one. <laughs> yeah if you get a chance play it and i'll have to drag you over and make you you to look at that one yeah I'd, I'd be curious to try it because when i first heard about that i was interested in a lot of the things that the game was talking about doing but the idea of having a monster that is just kind of a random collection of powers sounded a bit to me like it was going to be the same things we talked about with discover lands unknown it's like here's just a bunch of stuff that doesn't necessarily go together but deal with it now in this case first of all the the ba there's base stats for each of them so they go up over time so if you let the game go long, eventually the monsters that start coming out are just brutal from their main stats. But then you add powers onto them. And each power is a completely separate paragraph block, separate ability, something. And so when some of those stack, they create combinations that are just, he's going to do what? <laughs> and then what? And then, no, we're dead. That's it. We're dead. And then 20 minutes later, you finally taken the thing down. You're going, yeah. And then the next one comes out and you're just crying at the table. I mean, I'd, I'd love to give it a shot. It certainly sounds interesting. So just coming at it from a, a standpoint of Kingdom Death comparison, how does it compare on playtime? Kingdom Death is, you know, 20, 30 hours. Each scenario is you know, two, three hours. Okay. And you might have five or six monsters come out during that game. Right. The other thing it does really well is if you're playing the campaign, you respec your character between campaign adventures. So basically it says, oh, start this scenario three with 20 experience points and just build out your character from there. So yeah, first start of the campaign, you're playing basic characters. Toward the end, you're always playing, but you can respec and kind of mess with that. So, so lengthwise, it sounds like roughly equivalent to one of the Too Many Bones campaign style ones where you're going after all the bosses totally yeah and you move around on a map that's maybe six by five the, so the, the grids are pretty small and the structure of the game's more talismany because you're moving around overland and you're, you're, you're starting to lose me there Frank. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going classic adventure game all right. pick a better one prophecy <laughs> okay fine i'll accept that the game was really familiar so i was trying to figure out if i backed it or not <laughs> uh, you know think, you've backed too many kickstarters when <laughs> right i think i backed it and then undid my pledge on it sounds interesting yeah it's certainly in my wheelhouse next on my list is a kind of um a realization that I came to with role-playing games this year, a group of mine were playing through the Star Wars Fantasy Flight RPG, and I don't like it. That, that's really <laughs> the easiest way to, to say that is like the mechanics are wonky, but even going beyond the mechanics, I, I've kind of come to a realization that as much as I love Star Wars in that universe, it's a terrible sandbox to play in for me. Like... 
I just, I don't like, you're so confined by actual stuff that happens in the movies and then the books that I'm like, I'd rather just experience that universe through those mediums, not through RPGs. Yeah. I hate licensed RPGs for that reason, because they're so wound up in the story and the license. And I've never really felt that I've played one that works and I've played a lot of RPGs. Yeah. I mean, with Star Wars in particular, you have what I think of as the Superman problem, which is that either no one is playing Jedi, in which case, you know, that's a whole section of the world and lore that's that's mostly cut off, or someone is playing Jedi, in which case they are just a lot more powerful than everyone else. That, I think, is why Star Wars in particular has issues. But, you know, I think you're right that a lot of licensed RPGs are, you know, unless you're just playing in a time period or a part of the world that is completely separate from the main plot line, in which case you've lost a lot of the what makes the license special, you're just too caught up in what has, you know, what's canon. Call of Cthulhu gets away with that because it's not really Lovecraft and there's not, you know, main story. Well, sure, it's Lovecraft and 50 other authors who have built stuff off of so talking about Star Wars specifically, um, when Living Force was a big thing, I participated in that in pretty heavily, and I think it provides let's call it interesting insight into that. Like let's call it dichotomy, because uh, like what the way they handled it is, you were in a sandbox, you were in a part of the universe that was hard to reach, and you couldn't leave. So all the stories in there, you can do whatever you want, and anytime you'd leave the sandbox, they'd always joke that like, hey, cool, we're gonna go to Coruscant this time. You can literally do nothing in Coruscant besides listen to all the box text that happens in Coruscant, then you go back. Because that's the way it would always work, right? Is every anytime you leave the sandbox, the experience has to be hyper controlled because the what they were touting at the time is that like all the stories inside the game were canon in the universe, right? The stories were canon in the greater Star Wars timeline. It happened during the Clone Wars. And so obviously they have to be very cautious, right? Because like, hey, Jedi's are getting outlawed. It's a whole bunch of nonsense is going on. Uh, one thing that I have I realized when playing through that campaign is that uh, so sometimes as a role player you're a murder hobo, right? <laughs> you just go around wanting to murder things, and being both a Jedi and a murder hobo is hyper confusing. Yeah. So my game group when we would go to conventions, which is where Living Force really shined, there would be like lightsaber duels and all of my Jedi friends in my group would be like that seems really unnecessary why are why is anyone participating in that because that seems totally unelegant and everyone's like yay lightsaber duels right because like it's a thing it's like it's the universe is so specific it's really hard to role play in well and it's funny because as a solution to this problem I convinced my group to try Starfinder and Putting the kind of canon universe that uh, Paizo has created for Starfinder and just kind of taking that in the same way that I would with um, Pathfinder, I'm having a ton of fun with Starfinder. Like, it is, I think, the space role-playing experience that I was really hoping for with playing the uh, Fantasy Flight Star Wars game. So uh, my, my number four is going to go to Starfinder RPG. But Mike, the Starfinder RPGs doesn't have inscrutable dice in multiple colors and odd symbols that no one can understand. Yeah, it's real weird <laughs> how that improves my perception of this game. 
You should have convinced them to play the Star Trek role-playing game because everyone wants to play a role-playing game where the primary motivation for exploring the universe is that you're really bored. (laughs) That's the core to Star Trek. That's the core to Star Trek. The reason you go out and explore is because everything on Earth is hyper-boring. I mean, I've already got my... uh level four accountant ready for Star Trek. <laughs> good, good. Uh, nope, accountant's wrong. They don't have money. Yeah. Wrong, well, fail, God damn get it. out, leave. You're level I, four I, chef. I've revealed that I don't like or follow Star Trek in any way. No! Yeah, yeah. Joe, I've got my, 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 my generated Andorian chef in a world that has replicators. Excellent. Makes total yes, sense. Excellent. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Listen, experience is important because everyone is bored out of their minds. All right, so my number three is getting back to the board game. It's actually a very specific board game session that happened recently. We have been looking forward to Betrayal Legacy for quite a while now. I'm not going to give any spoilers, <laughs> Frank. You don't have to cover yours. It's fine. You know, we're fans of the original game. It's, it's light. It's chaotic. It's random. It's fun. The Legacy game is functionally the same as the base game, except you're starting with a much smaller pool of tiles. The house itself is smaller. Uh, There's some new add-ons, and basically you're tracking the story of the house through time. The reason this particular session was so memorable is that, as anybody who has gamed with me or listened to this podcast knows, dice hate me with a fiery burning passion. My average roll on a d20 is probably five Except when I'm GMing, you know, when I'm when I'm running the game, especially if it's a situation where I don't necessarily want to kill any PCs, then I roll all the 19s and 20s and huge amounts of damage. What we've discovered is that that rule also applies to cooperative games. Without going into spoiler territory, there was a scenario we played through in which there was no traitor. We were collectively fighting against some things in the house. And because I had discovered the haunt, I was rolling for the bad guys. He was the haunt revealer. Yes, exactly. And the dice in uh, Betrayal and in Legacy are 0, 1, 2. They're D6s with two zeros, two ones, two twos. So the average roll you're going to get is equal to the number of dice you're rolling. And when I was trying to do things as my character, I would roll four dice and get a a two or a one, because that's how it rolls. But for about four turns in a row, I was attacking the other players on behalf of the house with five dice, and I think I rolled four nines in a row on five dice. It was absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, just straight up murdered everyone. I I did more. I think we did wind up winning, but I I know I killed a couple people. The only reason we wound up winning is because there was a mechanism that allowed us to roll and you couldn't roll against us, so that was the only way we won. (laughs) Exactly. So that is just the, the latest and probably most memorable instance of the great dice curse that follows me around. So, uh, Betrayal Legacy, the Dice of Doom is my number three. Well, and Brian, you'll be happy to know that this problem is not isolated to you um we were playing um swords and sorcery which is a a fairly well done adventure game uh with joe the other night and joe was rolling on behalf of the bad guys mostly attacking himself and could not stop murdering himself (laughs) like joe would roll for the bad guys and get 18 hits joe would roll his defense and get nothing it was beyond ridiculous. It was pretty painful. Welcome to my world. I haven't played Betrayal, um, but I do actually have it upstairs. <laughs> I uh, have heard good things, and I do like the original game it's, quite it's a lot. It's highly recommended if you like it. I mean, don't go in expecting a pandemic legacy level of epic storytelling, but it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I like the idea that the the house, some parts of the previous games persist. That that's that's what's attractive to me, and it's an easy game to teach people, an easy game to get to the table. So, continuing the theme here uh, with Kickstarters, this isn't actually a game; it's a Kickstarter for a board game table, uh, the Table of Ultimate Gaming, uh, and this is actually in my favorites column this time because it actually came out. <laughs> I actually have it upstairs. Uh, as usual, being a Kickstarter, it was heavily delayed. It was promised on January 2018. I got it somewhere around October. <laughs> but that being said, I really enjoy the table. It's got a lot of nice features to it where it's got built-in power. has a railing system where you can mount things like, well, assuming I ever get my accessories, uh, my, my cup holders and things like that. It has magnetically mounted deco packs so you can put little different themed things on it. And since it's up in our living room, it's not the most well-lit place, we had to install track lighting to just bombard it with light. So whenever someone feels like getting a confession out of somebody, we just turn the lights on, and it works very, very well. Well, it also has the LEDs yes. inside the, the game vault area, which yes. I think is really nice. Thank you, because I did that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, post, post-release. post That was my first that attempt. That was an aftermarket edition. Got yeah, it. This is how he's blinging out his gaming table. Like That's most how people, he's desperately trying to bring photons to the light space. <laughs> most people deck out their board games. Jason's going the next step. He's decking out his board game space. So meta. Oh, the sad thing is it's literally my second board game table. <laughs> I apparently have a problem. But originally, the reason I wanted it is I wanted to be able to fit Star Wars Armada inside the vault area, which my other table just simply can't do Hmm. because it's a four by six playing area. And that's ridiculous. The funny thing about that table, we we played Star Saga on it and it it worked great. It was a comfortable like ergonomics, I guess. Mm -hmm. But those magnetic deco packs. Oh, yeah, they fall off all the time. Like, I could not help but knock them off constantly. And I'm just thinking, oh, God, I've broken your brand new table. Well, fortunately, so one of the things um, after the Kickstarter finished, they opened up, um, you know, you can buy more stuff because, of course, they want more money. I did buy uh, longer legs. So it's going to be counter height, which should get rid of a lot of that problem. Mm. I think it might make it even more comfortable experience because... I'm short and like the vault is very deep and I feel like I'm <laughs> have to lean over it to see what's going on. Yeah, counter height tables are the way to go or bar height. Mm-hmm. And just as a point of order, you know, with a four by six space where you can play Armada, you can get two Malifaux games in that space. <laughs> we, we Plenty of room for cards and we, stuff, I'm just we saying. We literally had three separate games playing on that table at the same time. I believe that. <laughs> hey, or six DBA games. <laughs> I like the thought of just measuring space by the board games that you could play on them. I feel like we need to make that a thing. How many how many copies of Innovation can you play in this space? It's so small. I mean, that's at least like three. I'm looking around the room for a board game. <laughs> that's at least three Battlestar Galacticas long. How many expansion boards? One, clearly. I mean, <laughs> come on now. That reminds me, I need to show you my integrated play mat that has all of them Ooh. on one. It's beautiful. Wow. Did you do you just cross off the one that's garbage? Uh, they didn't put it on there. Oh good. <laughs> <laughs> they <literally> wow. it. <laughs> we know no one wants this. Excellent. Well, I'm in. So my number three is Betrayal Legacy. Excellent choice. Because Betrayal Legacy has thus far been hyper fun. And I, I again, Frank is kind of a little bit behind us. I don't want to go into too many spoilers. It's still pretty new. It has had a couple moments of just like astoundingly clever gameplay that we kind of looked at each other and said, wow, that was really smart. They did that. I did not see that coming. Yep. How far into you are you? We're only two games. Six? I think. Six or seven. Six or seven? Oh. Yeah, we're getting ready to start week seven or year, year seven. Game seven. Yeah. 
So quick question, yeah. is it is is it a legacy game that you can go back and play normally afterwards? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes, however, unlike some other legacy games, I would be interested to talk to somebody who's going through a second run through of the game because there are some reveals that will lose impact, mm. I think. I mean, I already have people beating on my door for the second playthrough with me, so... Yeah, and there are definitely some... The plot points branch significantly. I mean, the overall arc of the story doesn't change, but just, you know, there's a couple binary decisions in the early games that will sort of echo through your later games. I'd be fascinated to see a plot of, like, all of the different branching paths that that game could take. Mike, you may not know this... But I'm an enormous data nerd. Mm -hmm. So when we finish our campaign, I'm going to go through and do a diagram of how that all fits <laughs> together because that's how I roll. I'll subscribe. <laughs> Let's see. My number three is a cheat. It's a Divinity Original Sin 2. This is a computer. Computer? RPG. Yeah. I've never heard of it. It's, sorry, it's an app enhanced board game that doesn't <laughs> have a board. And it's a classic Baldur's Gate RPG. But really, in order to like cheese this into board games, I'm realizing that this year is finally the year that there's no difference between games. You know, there's not the definite hardcore Euro, the definite miniatures game, and that, or even RPGs are all kind of merging into weird. You're seeing story elements. Oh, you're seeing things like Rise of Queensdale, which is a legacy Euro, but with heavy story elements and the whole legacy thing going. And I can't easily, if I look at a game, I can't easily tell what genre that is, which is awesome. Yeah, I like when cool things blend. I mean, you're going to get some weird experiments that just don't work. But by and large, I think crossbreeding is good for the species. Yeah, City of Kings plays like a very tactical, puzzly, the dice don't matter. You can plan two or three turns in a head. But no, it's effectively descended from Talisman. Well, going back to Brian's giant pension for being a data nerd... Uh, he just sent out to our, our kind of uh, podcast group, and I think we should include this in the, the show notes. Yeah, absolutely will. This fascinating graph of mechanics prevalence in board games between 1990 and 2010. Yeah, there's a, a guy who did a bunch of deep analysis on the Board Game Geek data set and ratings versus complexity versus mechanics. It's obviously two lengthy web pages with a lot of charts, so it's it's rather long to go into here. But it's there's some really interesting stuff. He does a neat thing observing how the popularity of games at the top of the board game keep rankings seems to be directly correlated with how complicated they are because the people who go on board game geek and rank all their games are generally people who like more complex games so he's there's a lot of data there and it's some interesting stuff and i will put it in the show notes because you guys might enjoy it so my next on my list is also betrayal legacy <laughs> um, but i do want to say that in kind of coming up with this list i was going through my experiences of the previous year and i was like wait a minute was pandemic season two this year no we played that last year so i think really for this group specifically any year that we're doing it, we could have probably put on, what's the new Legacy game? Yeah, there was actually sort of a big gap this year because we did Pandemic Legacy Season 1, then rolled straight into Gloomhaven, then rolled straight into Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which was actually, I think, in the middle of Gloomhaven, and then we went back and finished Gloomhaven. Yeah, and then we just sort of had a, a bit of a gap. We played yeah. around with Charterstone. I was going to and... say, that's because you're blacking out the Charterstone experience. Which... No, I'm not blacking it out. It's just it, it will never be completed <laughs> because <laughs> scheduling. That, that's fair. <laughs> Number two is one... 
that for me came completely out of left field. I mean, it was a thing that I knew existed, but I hadn't played or looked at it, and I have since become a little bit obsessed with it, Drop Mix. <laughs> wow. I love Drop Mix. Drop know, Mix is like... great. Uh, so I'm a musician, and I've always been a big fan of mashups since mashups were a thing. And I can't speak to Drop Mix as a game because, you know, we, we played one brief session of it as a game, and it was fine. But I got a copy recently when Amazon had it on their Black Friday sale, and I have literally spent hours just sitting there and realizing that, hey, the vocals to Call Me Maybe with the bass line to the Jackson 5's I Want You Back is amazing. Why has no one done this before? And it's just an incredible experiment. I wish there were a ton more songs available for it. I wish it was marketed better so that it had a better chance of success because I feel like it's kind of doomed in its current iteration. Yeah, it it was too expensive. And it's just such an amazing experience for people who are are into music at all, and I, I can't get enough of it. Hey, were they at Unplugged this year? They were not. I did not see them. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, That's them. fascinating. Because they had a good showing last time. Yeah, they did. Not only was it is it expensive, but also it that game has a major identity crisis when it comes to popular retailers like Target, which does carry it. They just don't know what to do with it. Is they it electronics? It somewhere is it board in games? The store. Is it video games? <laughs> And then they don't help themselves with the packs that they sell. They're also inscrutable because I can't tell what type of music is going to be in there. If I was just an average consumer, if I just walked up to the drop mix packaging, I'd be like, I don't even know what this is. Yeah, I literally had to get a spreadsheet and go through, filter the data based on here are the songs I care about. And, you know, I had to buy this pack because it had one particular drum beat that I wanted. (coughs) Nerd. (coughs) Yes, and? But yeah, it's the kind of thing where... I think if they had packs, because, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm a lot more interested in the sort of rock and pop side than I am in some of the, you know, the, the, the rap side and some of that sort of thing. And if I could get all of the cards that I'm interested in and not have to buy a bunch of ones I'm not interested in at the same time, that would be better for me. It's probably not better from a marketing standpoint, but I'm not willing to say that they've made a lot of great marketing decisions with this game anyway. I'm actually a little surprised there isn't a secondhand market for individual cards. There might be. I haven't really explored it. If the original packs were expensive enough and weren't discounted half the time there probably right. would be but. yeah that being said it's like i've played the actual game a bunch of times and i uh the cooperative version of the actual game i really really like so yeah i mean there's not a lot to it as far as games go it's fairly straightforward and simple but what it does with the music is hyper interesting some might even say fascinating some might and you know uh of course i love going after expensive pointless stuff so i went after all the promos because to be fair Transformers theme song and G.I. Joe theme song. How could I not get those? Right, Wait, there's you. a G.I. Joe theme yep, song? Yep. Oh, yeah. And they... a Power Rangers one and randomly one for, um, what was the game from the same people Pyre? who did Transistor? Yeah, Pyre. Well, I was like, that's a weird one to put in there. But Yeah, they hit you right, th- oh, right in the nostalgia. great. I- I'm sure it is. I'll never play that game. <laughs> yeah. Jason, what do you got at number two? Yeah, so I don't have the the best track record with trading card games like I played Magic in early high school Uh, I enjoyed it enough but I never really got heavily into it because frankly I couldn't afford it recently they came out with a Transformers trading card game and I'm a lifelong Transformers fan as my room full of Transformers toys will attest to 
It's made by the same people, uh, Wizards of the Coast, and I believe, I don't know which designer did it, I didn't do my research on that one, but it's a reasonably fun game. Uh, They did a really good job of integrating the theme with the gameplay, like transforming your actual characters serves a purpose, it's a majority of where the strategy comes in the game, and I'm really enjoying it. It actually, uh, they rescued the art assets from a defunct mobile game called Transformers Legends that I used to play specifically because I liked the art. The game itself was garbage, but the art was great. Like, they they gotten some really talented artists, and seeing these, these art assets get resurrected is, is very entertaining for me, specifically. Also, it's so easy to play, I've been able to teach it to a lot of people with great success. Like, it's not hard to understand how it plays. And I have two other people who are buying cards, too, so I actually have people to play against. That's beautiful. So that that would be my number two. I mean, it's it's a hit in nostalgia, and the game itself is fun. I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that you now own all of it. Shut up, Mike. <laughs> I mean, so is this standard CCG style where you have starter packs and booster packs, and you're just getting a random assortment of things? Yeah, they, they did do something interesting with it. So, yeah, you have a, an Autobot starter pack with a whole bunch of characters. So the, the game itself has, like, your deck cards and your character cards and character cards. Basically, you kill all the enemies' card characters, and you win. The starter pack, you know, the starter character is all garbage. But um, they have the starter pack. You can buy the boosters. Uh, They also released recently a um, Metroplex starter pack. So Metroplex is a Transformer that literally turns into a city. And so he has a whole different gameplay mechanic. And that one just came out. And that's super fun. I don't know how good he is, like, competitively. Because, like, I played against a reasonably okay deck. And he barely eked out a victory. But uh, he's fun to play as, right? I like that they're playing with the space already. Interesting. Yeah, you should show that to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number two is Root. I don't know what else we have to say about yeah, this. Yeah, we've, we've talked about Root a lot. I think we all think it's pretty cool. So my number two is a game that came out at the end of 2017, but uh, it turned up in 2018 in my collection. Pretty much beat up all the other games. It's Dungeon Degenerates. This is a, a jaw-dropping game. Imagine it that it were 1990s, just kind of whisk yourself way back to there. And imagine that Games Workshop had done a game based on... 70s grunge metal <laughs> with images of blacklight posters <laughs> and uh, a lot of sausages and beer and been about moving around the old school Warhammer universe and just beating stuff up. So this seems like this is sort of like Spencer's Gifts, the board game? No, no, no. Uh, actually, <laughs> I do have a game that I bought at Spencer's Gift, <laughs> which was the Insane Clown Posse no, game, <laughs> which is its own level of weird awesome. Sure. But no... Yeah, this is totally a 70s Spencer gift. You remember that Blacklight poster set? Um, the artist who did it is in Portland, Oregon. Check one. Um, he's He did a lot of punk posters and band posters, um, but himself was an old-school games workshop Warhammer fantasy classic. The game itself feels like a co-op talisman kind of thing. But with a more interesting dice system, really fast combat. The structure of the game is that it's a not legacy game. There's a branching campaign that you go through each time. And the game itself makes changes to the board, which you write down on old school pen and paper as levels of danger and such permanently, for at least for the duration of the game, are adjusted to the board. And it's maybe a 10 to 12, depending on just how branching you get through through a campaign. It starts with you breaking out of prison <laughs> or, you know, bribing your jailer to let you out of prison or whatever. And you're generally wandering the landscape, encountering, well, there's the dreaded cock goblin monster. And 
It has that. It has that. There old, went that family friendly rating. It has that old nineties <laughs> Games Workshop bad puns and oh, the it came with miniatures, which I had to drag out. Find Wait, I don't some, own this. And has miniatures. Find some Vallejo blacklight paints so that yes, mine actually glow under I, blacklight. I, I, I've seen them. They're pretty epic. <laughs> I was going to say, with this artwork, like, is the blacklight included with the game, or do I have to buy that separately? You have to buy the blacklight separately, sadly. But now the game's actually really good, too. And they're doing expansions, and there's other stuff. And Fascinating. Mm-hmm. The next one on my list is actually a little bit weird, because it is not a board game. <laughs> it's actually not even a game. This is the first year in several, well, really since Kickstarter started, that I've kickstarted nothing it it's really weird like mike you're violating the social contract well it's funny first step is admitting you have a problem (laughs) because i I feel like (laughs) at least in my book kickstarter when it comes to board games have hit a peak and recently as far as this year has gone there just hasn't really been anything on kickstarter that's really caught my attention And that could just be from Kickstarter fatigue and having so many outstanding projects that have either been disappointments or just haven't delivered at all. And that's certainly not all of them, because I've had several that I've loved and will continue to love. But this, like, really, when going back and looking at this year, I was like, it's weird. I've got all this extra money in my pocket now. (laughs) Did you look at Tainted Grail? No. Come over to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> it's still up. You can still the year is back over <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Because I follow Frank on Kickstarter, and I got the length that he backed Tainted Grail, and all I could do was have the soft sell song running in my head. <laughs> Tainted Grail. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I have certainly backed less on Kickstarter this year. I'm still at it. I'm still in the throes of things. But yeah, there are. I certainly got. A number of Kickstarter games earlier in the year from from previous backers where I said, oh, yeah, this looked kind of interesting, I guess. I'm not sure why I committed to it rather than waiting to see what happened when it comes out. So I'm certainly getting more discriminating because there are, are certainly a lot of people who are like, hey, I have an idea for a board game. I have no idea. I don't have an editor or anybody who has any board game development experience, but this looks like it'll be cool. I mean, like you say, there have been some great successes, like um, Shipwreck Arcana came out of nowhere for me, and I love that game. Well, like, and uh, wasn't Too Many Bones a Kickstarter Kickstarter, as well? Yeah, Uh, yeah, I got it after the original Kickstarter. But yeah, it was, and um, Seventh Continent was a Kickstarter. So there have been some great successes there, but yeah, I'm being a lot more selective in what I back. Frank, why did you do this to me? <laughs> why did you do this to me? What Joe's did Joe just bought? Grail. <laughs> I'm in it too, Joe. It's, Don't it's, worry. It's like, it's like Star Saga. Like, holy God. Yeah, it's no. like Star Saga 7th Continent had a good. baby. Go ahead. Go back it right now. <laughs> Monster. Another one. <laughs> so it's funny that you said that you pick up too many bones after the Kickstarter because I find... More and more often now, that's what I'm doing when it comes to Kickstarter games. Like, you know, I think Kickstarter has lost the I need to have this right the hell now or I'm going to miss out effect. I think early on in Kickstarter, I got kind of caught up in the um, Kickstarter exclusives, which like functionally now I can't stand Kickstarter exclusives. Like I think they are more harmful to the process than helpful. Sorry to all those people out there who are hugging their Kickstarter exclusives right now. I think they just create a very toxic aftermarket that I 
don't enjoy. And so more and more often, I'm waiting to see what's happening with this game after it comes out. Yeah, you know, it's the whole thing where if there is something that's being built as a Kickstarter exclusive, if it makes the game better, everyone should be able to get it. And if it doesn't make the game better, why are you giving it to people? Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with Mike, though. Like, I, I felt like last year, any time I would log on to Kickstarter, I'd find something to back. And I have not experienced that this year. Like, I'll log on, I'll kind of browse around and be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I haven't ever really gone and actively browsed Kickstarter. Basically, if I find a reference in something, you know, Board Game Geek has a thing that they send out periodically that says, here's some new stuff. And if there's something there that intrigues me, I will go and look at it. But no, just going in and browsing around the site, that that way lies madness. That's why I kickstarted the um, Assassin's Creed board game, which I'm eventually going to sell to Jason um, (laughs) after after I don't like it and it has a bunch of figures for him. So that's my plan, really. Excellent. Yeah, as as hard as it might be to tell, I have backed less things this year. This is the first year I've done kind of what Joe was talking about, where he would back something and then retract that support. I found that as my pile of unplayed games grows, my desire to purchase new ones <laughs> also It's weird diminishes. how that happens. <laughs> um, I've been it that way with video games for years now. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like this year, I tend to, as, as mentioned previously, I follow the same companies because I tend to like the things that they develop and I get excited about their projects. For me, the Kickstarter process itself, I agree, it probably does create a bit of toxicity in terms of the rush to buy things and like things like early bird purchasing and nonsense like that. It's not helpful to the hobby, but I do like being involved, quote unquote, in the process because I like getting the updates. I like seeing the development of the games. And the studios that I back are very upfront about what they're doing. Like they'll actually submit their rule books to the backers and say, please take a look at this, give us suggestions on how to edit this or, you know, what would be improved what's not clear and in the case of something like mythic games where they're french speakers natively that's very helpful because those tend to translate poorly um once they get released so if only the time stories people would do that <laughs> yeah i'm yeah. also seeing that's i'm also seeing that some companies are kind of leaving kickstarter mm-hmm. you know stegmeyer games yep. would be a company that would always back even gloomhaven the expansion is going straight to retail mm-hmm and of course, even the ones that are coming out will get a retail release sometimes before the Kickstarters get it. Hands of fate, guys. You're not better, at least. Yeah, really. And I think that that is an example of how Kickstarter should be used. Like, I don't have any problem with Kickstarter. I like it when it is used appropriately. But there are a lot of companies who had made that their business model and just kind of abused that system. I think it is perfectly fine that the designer of Gloomhaven is now like, hey, I did a Kickstarter for this game. It was majorly successful. Now I'm ready to go into like straight up retail. Like I do not need Kickstarter anymore. Yeah. Kickstarter was original design for people who wanted to try something experimental out. Stuff like Gloomhaven or Seventh Continent is a perfect case for that because you would not have found a publisher who was willing to put out, yeah, here's a $120 game with 17 different boxes of sealed miniatures inside and all. Everyone would have looked at you like you're crazy. So you see if the public actually wants that thing. But like you say, there are a lot of companies at this point who are using Kickstarter as a way to basically fund their development of a new game by selling it before they've made it. Yeah. And that works up to a point. Yeah, we were talking about CMON and their $4.1 million loss. From it eventually the- stops working. <laughs> yeah, totally. And even as far as Kickstarter exclusives go, I'm going to give another shout out to the Greater Than Games guys with Sentinels. Like, they basically said, hey, all of these things are going to be exclusive until we are finished. 
And then we will make a thing that everyone can purchase that will have all of those exclusives in it. Cool. Yeah, works for me. And finally, number one. And this is going to be maybe a little bit self-serving and self-referential and that kind of thing, but that's fine. I can do what I want. I'm a grown man. My number one gaming-related thing from this year has been doing this podcast. It has been something I've been interested in doing for a while. As you may have noticed, I like talking. I like talking about games. I like hanging out with people who I'm friends with and getting ideas about interesting games and heckling back and forth. So thank you, all of you who have listened, and thank all of you guys here for helping me make this a reality. As we've commented before, both on and off the recording, it's still early enough that we feel like we're screaming into the infinite void. But we know there are people out there who are still downloading the thing and presumably listening, so thank you for that. Uh, And we're going to keep doing this until you stop listening or we get tired of it. So this this is my favorite thing from gaming this year. I think it has to be said, but aww. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still remember when you and I went to uh, Five Guys to initially discuss, hey, if we're going to do a podcast, what would that podcast even look like? Yes, what We would had a about? bunch of discussions about, like, should we do a variety show? And I was like, eh, there's a million variety shows. Let's do something a little bit more focused. And it was kind of came from there so yeah. and not that we're always as focused no, as no. we should no, be but I, I think but it's working for one of the things this podcast has really done for me and I, I hope this is also true for our listeners it's really made me go back and play some of these older games that have just been sitting on my shelves untouched for years i'd like to spend a weekend doing that because <laughs> there are some things lurking in the bowels of ooh, that is a tempting idea hmm <laughs> We, we need to get the hooded monks back out to... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, after Brian's heartfelt uh, thing, I'm just going to talk about a board game. That's so. fine. <laughs> uh, that seems mighty on topic. <laughs> I mean, it is tangentially related. Uh, it is something we played at uh, Secret Board Game Con. Uh, we were playing Brian's copy, uh, Too Many Bones. I'm a little late to this game, but uh, I, I had seen it at Gen Con the previous year, and I was like, wow, there's a lot going on with that game. There's a whole bunch of dice for some reason, and... I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to move along. Fortunately, Brian had brought his copy, and uh, I played it, and I absolutely fell in love with it. It's a very well-constructed game. It's got some of the best components I've ever seen in a game, and it was really fun. The initial learning curve's a bit steep, especially if you're stupid like me and decide Tank is the first one you want to try. But I've enjoyed that tremendously. I've played it many, many times. I have now purchased every single possible component you can for it, included the stupid upgraded health because that's what Brian had and that's what I got used to. And I still play it quite a bit. I've got all the new expansion stuff. That I haven't played through yet, mostly because I'm still introducing it to new people and you really don't want to throw them into, here's Stanza, good luck. (laughs) Stanza's... Yeah, stands as a little bit of a pain. Does Undertone yeah. have the campaign rules? Because I really want to try the campaign uh, rules. Yes, if 40 Days in Daylor is the campaign rules, but I have all of the Actually, Undertow has a mini campaign that's that could true. probably be done in one long sitting. Mm. I want to try the campaign because like, I feel like my big thing with that game is like I felt like it was screaming for a campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you, yep. you, you got your character fairly well developed and then you're done. Yep. Yeah. Jason, your experience is pretty much exactly what happened to me with that game because it was, in fact, at Secret Board Game Con. Frank introduced it to me and I'm just like, wow, oh, fu- this is fascinating. <laughs> yes. Virtually every gaming thing I own is on some level Frank's fault. But yeah, it was just something that grabbed me right away and um, I have not gotten to play it as much as you have. But we should we should totally do that sometime. It's the first game that I think really gets that JRPG thing that actually I do love because, you know, the, the amount of movement's very tiny. You're mostly just picking who you're attacking, and it feels structured like that, you know, classic 
front line, back line hit things. I mean, it, it is. It's really tight. It as a as far as just a tacticals battle game, it really just kind of kind of compare apples and oranges here. It is the adventure game that is equivalent to a skirmish war game. Like it is much smaller. It is much tighter. And this goes back to what I said earlier. It's just a ton of fun to play. But I cannot wait for us to do a breakdown of adventure games over the ages because it also shows a huge evolution of how far we've come in adventure games. Another thing worth noting, um, uh, Chip Theory Games, they support the heck out of their games. Like for people who purchased the original Kickstarter, they'd have upgrade packs where as they've improved the components, they have also given their original backers the ability to purchase them essentially at cost. And I've had to deal with their um, customer service, and they've been wonderful. They respond very quickly. They, they, they're as helpful as they can possibly be. They literally, I pre-ordered, again, I missed the Kickstarter, but I pre-ordered Undertow, and they emailed me specifically to apologize because they said it would come out in summer. They're going to miss it by a week. We're really sorry. I'm like, that's okay. I, I back Kickstarters. I'm used to waiting <laughs> years. I beyond. screwed up and left my copy of Too Many Bones in the car for a week over summer. And one of the problems with PVC cards, which, yeah, I mean, the cards are solid PVC, is they did this whole shrink, you know, like, <laughs> like shrinky dinks. Like shrink shrink <laughs> exactly. And mine all shrunk. Oh, no. And they just said, huh. That's funny. And sent me a set. <laughs> yeah, no. And I got the second printing of the game in which the encounter cards were super dark and difficult to read. And, you know, as part of the new thing, it's just like, here, here's a, a new freshly printed copy of all the cards. So, yeah, they're they're super nice guys. I have not backed their latest game because the game in particular didn't appeal to me. I mean, the unifying theme of all their games is pretty much poker chips. <laughs> and beyond that, they're wildly diverse. But, yeah, Too Many Bones is great. I'm really looking forward to trying out the campaign, I must say. Agreed. So my number one, this is also Frank's fault, um, <laughs> which is uh, Aeon's End. Yes. I love the heck out of that game. Joe, you fell hard for I this game. I fell hard for this game. I have all the pieces, all the components, all the expansions. I'm, I'm excitedly waiting for Aeon's End Legacy to come out, which is coming out sometime soon. I don't know. Whatever. Board games. No, I, I super love this game, and I have a bunch of people who, who really love this game. I like how difficult it is and how varied it is like every game feels super different and you get different combinations or it's all the things i like about dominion and kind of all those deck builders but like everyone's working together to a unified goal which i super love and there's a digital version that is yeah. in the process of kickstarting as we speak that yeah, looks I'm pretty promising I'm to play that. that one almost got me going back to our earlier like this close <laughs> this close we almost broke your resolve huh? <laughs> almost oh but you have the whole sentinels thing going and i think that's effectively sentinels meets dominion yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. No, it's great. I love it. So My number one's Root. That's easy. You know, we've played it a lot. Probably six or seven times, I think. I've played all the factions in the base game. And even the base game is enough to keep me going back to it. I want to play it now. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I really want to try some of the expansion races. The Riverfolk look fascinating. I know. And the Lizard Cult doesn't. I but think, yeah, they, the Riverfolk look awesome. I think they... Didn't they tweak the Lizard Folk recently with... Apparently they had nerfed them prior to release, and apparently they've backed a little bit of that. Oh, Maybe. it's probably good. Yeah, I heard they're not, not doing so great. <laughs> I don't think they're necessary, though. I mean, the base mm. game is so good. Yeah. So my uh, top of my list this year has got to be a Arkham Horror card game. Joe's um, favorite! <laughs> this is, much like Joe was saying earlier, this is the scale that I really want to enjoy um, Arkham Horror and, and just the Cthulhu mythos at. It is very character centric they have excellent excellent stories 
and they really are crafting a story with a theme. And God freaking A, I love a good theme in a game. Talk about a game that does an awful job of putting its best foot forward. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's awful. When we, when Jason and I first broke out the base game of Arkham Horror Card Game, we were like, this is trash. This is garbage. Yeah, the uh, the, the mini campaign they had at the end of it is just like, mm, just kick you to the floor. And we're like, we don't want to play this anymore. And so Mike, in his attempt to get me to like the game, has showed me all the instances where the game puts its worst foot forward, saying, Joe, like this game now. Play play the starter missions of a bunch of campaigns and also play this really hard werewolf thing that's impossible to beat. Go. Have fun with that. I'm like, why am I even doing this? What is even going on? You really love this game because you're crazy, I think. <laughs> no, no, no. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, this is definitely one of those games where you have to dig to see the the shine that it brings. But, I mean... Man, you get through that barrier to entry and you are in for a really solid mythos experience. That's what we call an acquired taste. <laughs> yeah, and it it's like well, well worth it. Can you suggest a good way to start though? Because it don't failed use for the corset. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, don't here. Here's what you shouldn't do: don't play the first <laughs> scenario in three different missions, and then one of the side scenarios that's super hard. You will make someone very embittered. Yeah, I can see that. So this is uh, my recommendation would be to um, pick one of the blocks of story that they do or that they have. Uh, yeah, which... the mythos cycles, I think they call yeah. them, right? Yeah. Do you have a recommendation for a specific one for people to start with? The King in Yellow. Yeah, it's a yeah, really good definitely. one. Because it's the um, King in Yellow, yes. Yeah, and it is the King in Yellow done right. Like, it wow. is a excellent experience of everything that the King in Yellow stands for. So people would need to buy the base game? And the King and Yellow expansion is what you would recommend to start with. And then each of the blister packs that come with it, because you will want all of the character cards that are in each of those packs, and then experience that story one chapter at a time. This is definitely a game that gets better with more cards. So the last thing we wanted to talk about were things that we were disappointed in this year that we wanted to be good, but just for whatever reason weren't. Mine, uh, unfortunately, has to be what we've been referring to as Secret Board Game Con. It's called the Oasis of On. It's a local invitation-only game event that has been a tremendous amount of fun for years and years. And I want to make clear that the event itself is still awesome, and I'm super looking forward to, to doing it next year and for as long as it keeps going. You just didn't do it this year. I, I, just, I had the oasis of implementing last-minute panicky huge customers uh, that didn't know what they wanted, so I spent most of my board gaming vacation in a hotel room on conference calls mucking around with databases. Yeah, you gave us an interesting little mini game of, where's Brian now? <laughs> yeah, I did get to get some games in that weekend, but that is my major board game event of the year, and I just didn't get to do it this year, and it made me sad. There is nothing worse than a bad con experience. And the thing is, it wasn't a bad con experience. It was a bad work experience, but that's another story. We're past that now. They've been very good about making it up to me. I've moved on. Mm. I've moved on. Okay. Speaking of moving on, my biggest disappointment this year is the state of one of my favorite games, Star Wars Armada. This game is one of my favorites. It's giant fleet combat in the Star Wars universe, which is just hits me in all the right spots. I've basically bought everything of it multiple times. And as a person who likes buying more crap for this game, they've only had one release. Well, technically two releases this year. Back in February, they released the um, MC-75 and the Chimera, which is 
Thrawn's uh, Star Destroyer, so basically every painted Star Destroyer. They have released nothing else the entire year. They have been busy re-releasing X-Wing 2nd Edition and Star Wars Legion, and I was reading a stat recently where Star Wars Legion, which has been out for nine months, has more expansions for it than Armada, which has been out for three and a half years. I was going to say, though, I mean, you could have the alternative. Didn't they just pretty much defunct everything that had been released for X-Wing up to this point? Well, now they can sell you a conversion kit where now they all you can use them all now. Of course they can. Yep. It's interesting because, I mean, the game still seems to be very active and popular. I was actually running a Malifaux tournament yesterday at my local gaming store, and there was an Armada tournament mm-hmm. going on the same day, and there were probably 20 people there playing it. So it still seems to be a very popular game, but... I get what you're saying about not having support coming out on a regular basis. Yeah, with Christian Peterson leaving Fantasy Flight, though, I think that game might no longer be a go-to because we do play a lot of Fantasy Flight games, pretty much all of them. Yeah, they do have... So they've announced at some point next year they're going to release a Super Star Destroyer kit, which I'm looking forward to because I got to see the the actual physical model at Gen Con. It's huge and beautiful, but you can't really maintain a a gaming group. Like, I'm glad to hear that your your local game store actually has a lot of active players uh, reading the message boards and listening to the few remaining podcasts for the game. People are kind of losing interest because, you know, in games like this where they establish a meta, people get tired of playing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's been rough with, with Malifaux lately is since third edition was announced and sort of got leaked and was announced in a premature sort of way, a lot of people are sort of in a holding pattern on the second edition because they don't want to commit too much to a thing that may completely change. So I, I know how that feels, and that's uh, that's unfortunate. I have not played a lot of Armada. We did a a, uh, a brief campaign. <laughs> An ill-fated <laughs> campaign. I got the tar <laughs> out of me. This is how we started this campaign. I turned to Jason. I said, Jason, you're my ally. What's the cheesiest list I could bring? What's the most broken thing I can put <laughs> on the said, table? And he said, Joe, why don't you just play a General Ryer Fireball list? Because that's the list that everyone hates. I'm like, cool, I'll do that. And then I made everyone hate it. I did. I did hate it a lot. <laughs> now, just, just for a bit of contrast here, Brian was my partner. And I turned to Brian and I said, Brian, here's a list of things that I think might be good. Let's try it. Yeah. And I was like, I've never played this game. Sure, it looks good. <laughs> Yeah, I think getting the two of you on the same side may, in retrospect, have been a mistake, especially since the Empire had a little bit of an advantage in that campaign they anyway. They do. But we're not bitter. Mike did beat me by running away the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's the Rebel Alliance. I yeah. so they made, appropriate. They so have made an entire movie based on that now. So, <laughs> Well, why didn't you just send one of your ships to hyperspace through his fleet? That would have worked. <laughs> if only. Yeah, that sets up a weird there, there's, precedent. There's an entire separate podcast on that topic. Weird I don't think we want to go there. Okay. So my biggest disappointment is Dragonfire. And most of the table's biggest disappointment. Yeah. I don't understand <laughs> this why. This game is so close. It is good adjacent, but it falls into that... <laughs> That's that's our new catchphrase right there. It's, it's good, good adjacent. adjacent. So but, like an uncanny valley thing oh going where it's just I mean, it's, falls into it's that a oblivion. lot like the the wheel on Price is Right where it's like a hundred and then just garbage. I, I you... The really disappointing thing here is having now played both Crossfire and Dragonfire, they learn absolutely nothing. They negative learned. They negative they learned regressed. between two games. They regressed. Yeah, and they're is a good game in there, but it needs some 
bubble gum and, and band-aids because it is not there yet yeah well we were playing a campaign of it and we just slowly flagged off because it was just not fun it's a game that's ostensibly about progressing through a campaign when every game you play you essentially reset to zero minus some stickers that offer very little in the way of making your character feel any different yeah and not only that but you compare it to games that have a, a similar feel such as the pathfinder card game where there is very obvious progression of your character between games it just it yeah. missed on every cylinder i really like the pathfinder card game i think 2018 is really the year that fallout died it was a lovely <laughs> franchise but you guys screwed it up pour one out for it <laughs> wait 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 you guys yeah, brian you specifically you guys, no, 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 no. Go, this, this is a combination of bethesda and you know obviously fallout 76 is a train wreck but specifically for board games the fallout board game is not good the pitch is actually really compelling basically it's fallout 3 in new vegas which totally good with that maps you wander around the wasteland doing quests it uses a weird branching thing where like two possibilities open and everyone can go scramble and complete those quests depending on which one gets completed that opens up an entirely different branch of the story so you get a good implementation of the fallout branching stories and then they screwed up everything else Offense number one is that there really is an amazing, not amazing character progression. You might get one piece of equipment over a game, maybe. You do get the fatal skills, but they're really just letters that are stat bumps. Special, you mean? Yeah, special. Uh, they fatal. What's fatal? Fatal is a horrible, horrible role-playing oh, game. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. <laughs> let's not confuse this. No, ever let's again. not even You're talk right. about that. Good point. But yeah, you get the special list, and... Uh, they're mostly just single stat bumps. They're pretty basic and kind of boring, and you might get two or three in the course of a game. The worst offense, though, is that whenever you complete a quest or minor quest, you get a card. And it's really, do you have victory points from these cards? But what happens is the, the big number of the points come from whether you're a Brotherhood of Steel or I can't remember the other faction that's there. And you do track whether these two factions are winning. And so there's balance. And so it comes down to basically, did you get the right type of cards? Uh, and did you get no, enough cards Souls. or did you get a mix? <laughs> there's an alternate end game setup unofficial on Board Game Geek, which has gotten pretty good reviews. So I have a copy of the game because, again, I bought it because Fallout. And I haven't tried it, but I'd like to try it with those alternate ending conditions to see if it improves the game. Because, like you say, I, I want it to be good. There is an expansion in Inbound, and I wonder if they you know, change that because they did some fixes to like Rune Wars that were pretty nice in previous games and such. Maybe they'll fix it, but even then, I don't know. It just wasn't there. So one of my biggest disappointments this year is a game that I have actually owned for several years and have just never had the opportunity to, to break out. And Jason and I finally sat down for what I thought was going to be this awesome, beautifully designed, amazing adventure game called Legends of Andor. And it's not so much in the disappointment that the game is bad. It is just not what I was expecting. If you haven't seen this one, this is, it's actually a puzzle game. I think it would be the best way to describe it. What, I mean, I love Andor, but it's very, very Teutonic. Yeah. It is very focused. There's not a lot of luck. Things are very predictable. And you have to think hard. 
Yeah. So one of the most prevalent mechanics in this game is that when you kill a bad guy, it advances time. And so you have to be very selective of which bad guys you kill and which bad guys you let run into the walls of the city that you're trying to protect. And they have since released two expansions. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting on whether or not I actually want to pick these up because I feel like, yes, this is a game I would enjoy, but it is not the game that I wanted. Mike, did you just say that this is the your biggest disappointment this year? Maybe I should get the expansions. <laughs> what do you guys think? Hey, Joe, you have your problems. I have mine. So if I'm hearing you correctly, this is not a bad game. It's just not the game you wanted it to be? Well, it's not the game I expected it to be, which left a really odd taste in my mouth when Jason and I finished playing it. And we were like, well, that was an experience. So the weird thing about Andor is that the scenarios are very different. When you actually play through more of it, you know, the first two scenarios are, are pretty similar. But then they branch and they go, they're all very puzzly, very thinky. Hmm. But it's very different. The mechanics all change. You know, you flip to another board halfway through the game. Yeah, I've seen that board and I'm just like, why do I need this other board? What's going on here? Like, I'm I'm very intrigued by this. And the designer of this game, not only did he make the mechanics and the scenarios, but also did the artwork and the standees for it. And totally. I, I love the concept of the game. I really want to support him because I kind of want to check out more things by the same designer. I don't know that he's actually made anything else, but Again, this game is plaguing my thoughts this year. I feel like you haven't had enough bad gaming experiences. If it's like, well, this is actually kind of a good game, it's just not what I was expecting. If that's your worst thing, is having your expectations trifled with. We need to get you some really miserable gaming experiences, Mike. <laughs> I mean, we we played through Dragonfire this year. I mean, another <laughs> game where that that's just a bad game that I was not expecting. That's, that's not even... So, Brian, what are you looking forward to next year? Gosh, um, I'm looking forward to getting to play at the Oasis of Fun. In the last 20 minutes or so, I'm looking forward to Tainted Grail. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Score! Yes, you've done it again. Honestly, my main thing I'm, I'm hoping to do is just get more gaming in in general, because this has been, on various levels, a rough year for gaming for me. Which is weird, because I haven't been doing as much travel as I have historically. It's just been syncing up schedules and everything has been an enormous pain. So while there are certainly some specific things I want to see, I want to see the Seventh Continent expansion. There's a number of Kickstarters on my plate that I'm waiting to get. But mostly I just want to have time to play more games, which is, I think, something I want all the time forever. So more of that. For me next year, uh, a lot of the same things Brian said. Uh, I've also I've been traveling a lot for work this year, so that's been a large portion of the challenge for trying to schedule any sort of gaming. But in terms of games, I'm looking forward to Tainted Grail, definitely. I mean, I, I already backed it before Frank told me about it, so <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get me. But uh, I'm looking forward to a couple of the things I've backed actually delivering. Uh, I look forward to burying Joe in a tower of uh, Joan of Arc. That ought to be... Uh, as tall as the ceiling, probably. <laughs> Solomon Kane, of course, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how they pull that one off since I got to play it and I enjoyed it so much. Other than that, uh, I'd like to get my cup holders to my table. That'd be great. Yeah. I really enjoy that. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty of plenty of games I've backed that are still waiting to deliver. Gigarobo, Mech Command RTS, those are delayed by multiple years at this point. It's just waiting for them to show up and then, you know, hopefully getting the time to play them. So I'm really interested in Aeon's End Legacy, right? 
that is coming out January, I think, ish. I don't know. Yeah. So who knows? Board games. It's coming out early next year. I'm excited that Mordara is finally going to ship. Woohoo. Theoretically. Uh huh. I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. Yeah, that one's been delayed for about three three years, and I don't know. They've been. I they're going to finish it, but man, it's been brutal. And the other thing I'm obviously extremely excited about and so is jason and mike they just have totally forgotten about it i I reminded mike in the car earlier which is why he has he's not totally surprised frog god level of kingdom death (laughs) oh that one i bought all the things you know the last update said that they he doesn't know when that stuff who knows like it's not coming out this year i'm still excited for it that last update was a novel (laughs) i was like i i had to stop reading it it kept going (laughs) i I, I get the feeling that at this point you know he's sort of hand carving all the miniatures from human bone (laughs) yes exactly that's what that works bring me more corpses i need to carve some more so yeah mine are gonna be kickstarters one is Oh, weird, because it's Wilson Wolf, which I got Jason to yep. buy. Yeah, he did get me to, to buy that one. <laughs> There's oh. another one. It's a giant puzzle hunt escape room game based on, like, 1930s era animation. I All saw right. that. I was very so close and to backing that. It is jaw-dropping in terms of the stuff in it. It looks gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think he's have it. Well, wrapping it up and finishing it. Uh, the other one is Dungeon Crusade, which you were talking about the last Kingdom Death update. That is nothing compared on the average Dungeon Crusade update. It's run about a year and a half late. It's kind of a, a love song to HeroQuest. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, wait a minute. It's like HeroQuest, Talisman, and several other games all had a giant baby with no miniatures at all. So, so Frank was zero miniatures. So oh, Frank I've was, lost interest now. Frank was telling me about it, and he was like, they added a phase before the game starts where you play a game of Talisman before you go into the dungeon. And I looked at him and said, they've gone no. mad. Yeah, there are three separate board games. When you go into town, there's three separate mini games. One is like TSR's dungeon that you can play when you're in town to gamble. It's a sprawling giant. It all has this very late 80s, 90s hero quest style art. It looks like it came out of one guy one guy basically is doing it it's strictly obviously a one guy design but he is pouring his heart into it it's absolutely amazing i feel like he's gone too far he's in a padded room now right it's possible it'll be completely unbelievable but when you read his updates have to break up into two or three updates because there's either too many pictures or too much text He'll go through and show a picture of every single card. Oh my gosh. And it's the the level of enthusiasm he has for everything is absolutely infectious. There's there's a lot to be said for enthusiasm, but uh He's considering opening up for late pledges. I don't know when he's gonna ship. He's still struggling because he's insane. So Frank showed me the Kickstarter page and we started going through it. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. We kept going. I was like, oh, nope, now I'm, now, nope, too much. Nope, too much. And he's like, here's the part where he added talisman to this game as an add-on. I'm like, I'm out. And now I'm done. So Frank, this is like the fifth game that you've compared to talisman. Is there something you need to tell us? <laughs> and I mean, you, you often say that like it's a good thing and that confuses me. So, I don't hate talisman. But I think that whole, you know, there are adventure games. Talisman is where that started. I mean, all of those games are descended from Talisman. Sure. So I prefer Prophecy and all the others. Mm-hmm. I like the uh, 40K Talisman. Relic. Relic. Relic, Relic. Relic is actually quite Relic. good. Relic. Yeah. They made yeah. a lot of good choices in that one. But yes, I think Prophecy is the pillar of that particular. Sure. Prophecy was good. Yeah. Yeah. 2018, you know, 
I got to tell you, I don't know what board games are coming out that I'm really looking forward to. But for those of you that have been following our, our podcast, probably know by now that I've been streaming. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what else can be done with streaming. Like, I would love to try and stream role-playing games and board games just to see how it goes. And if that's something that you think you might be interested in watching, let us know. Oh yeah, also everybody can follow me at Codab Games on Twitch. We're currently working way our way through a fascinating experience of a game called Zero Escape, uh, Virtue's Last Reward, which is just, I'm pretty sure, some dude's like weird dream about multi-world parallel dimension. It's crazy. Have you played these earlier, Zero? Yes, yeah, we, totally we played okay, through the first it. game on Twitch, and it was equally as fascinating. Did you get all the endings in the first game? I did. Good. I can't say they're good games because <laughs> I really like I really like the series personally. They're yeah. they're not good games, but they are good adjacent. <laughs> yeah, they are good adjacent. However, they are on the other side of good adjacent from Dragonfire in that they're they've not gone good, too far, but they're interesting. They're definitely games that a madman would create for sure yeah, yeah it, it reminds Guaranteed. me of the kind of person who would take you know dungeon and add talisman as yeah a separate exactly game. yeah yeah <laughs> no, for thing. sure it's like that kind of thinking goes into those games so with that note i think we're done here we're still going to have our regular episode coming up on january 1st which we've already recorded so we're doing weird things with time but it's okay so happy holidays thanks for listening and uh we will talk to you guys again next year have a great next year bye bye, bye. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Full details can be found at ascentofboardgames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. Merry Christmas! Christmas.